Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 356, Simplifying Sustainable Buildings with architect Dominique Davison of Planet Impact. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more, all for free. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto, the easy online payroll and benefit service built for modern small businesses like ours. In other words, a people platform. So thanks to RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto for supporting the Entree Architect community of small firm architects. Dominique Davison, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, Dominique is an architect based in Kansas City. Uh, she founded Planet Impact, so that's Plan IT Impact, Planet Impact. Um, in 2014 with one goal in mind, to make it easier to design for sustainability on every building project. She recognized that uh, that time and cost are common barriers to sustainability. So she created Planet Impact to be the fast, easy, collaborative, and smart solution to building performance. In addition to founding Planet Impact, Dominique is founding principal of DRAW, uh, architecture and urban design, an award-winning practice based in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, she is 2018's AIA Kansas City Architect of the Year, and she is an author and frequent national speaker in the sustainable and smart city space. So D Dominique, I shared a little bit about you, a little bit about who you are. Um, I'm excited about this conversation. Let's let's start where, with where all of this started. What's your origin story? Share Share where you discovered your passion for architecture uh, and and uh, tell us that story to where you find yourself today. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, as it turns out, my grandfather was an architect, and um, I used to love going up to his uh, studio space that was um, in the attic area of his home. And he had a wonderful room full of all kinds of paper and pencils and pens and 
beautiful drawings. And uh, I would just go up there and um, kind of look through all the things that he had worked on. And we would talk about building design. And so he helped me design my first uh, dream home and critiqued it and, you know, gave me pointers. Um, he taught me how to draw in perspective. Um, so that was a great um, introduction to you know, this world of how do we think about and manifest ideas that we have in our minds um, into the built, built environment. How, how old were you when, when you used to hang out with your grandfather? Um, this was, you know, um, pretty young child. So uh, this was elementary school. Um, you know. Probably seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then in middle school, um, we had one of those career days. And uh, I decided to go see the architect speak. And so that was about fifth grade, I'd say, and got to understand a little bit more about you know, how this other person um, practiced architecture. That also sounded wonderful to me. So um, it was kind of a, an early, I had a, an early idea of what I wanted to be. Um, so did you, uh, did you make that decision when, before that? that meeting with the architect at school or, or was that sort of the thing that said, Hey, what grandpa does is something I could do. Exactly. That was sort of the thing that said, Oh, okay. This is a profession that I can do, you know, cause my grandfather lived in Europe and that was an experience here in the United States. So, you know, it helped translate it to my, my understanding of the world. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so you, so you were inspired by the architect uh, at school, and then, then where did that lead you? Um, well, I uh, tried to do some drafting classes and um, kind of take on some special projects uh, around architecture, but there weren't really classes available for me in my um, middle school and high school, and said, and so um, once I went to undergraduate, I. Um, I ended up going to UC Berkeley and um, they have a ex an excellent uh, program for undergraduate architecture as well as graduate school. So uh, I did my Bachelor of Art in Architecture at UC Berkeley and then uh, worked for a year um, for a great firm in San Francisco um, and my mentor, Daniel Solomon, and then went um, on to grad school at the Yale School of Architecture back in Connecticut. So. Um, so coast to coast, coast to coast. Yeah. Two degrees. <laughs> I was committed. And then, so, so you graduated from Yale, then where, where, what was the next step? Where did you go once you sort of, uh, launched yourself out into the profession? Yeah. So, um, I had, uh, the great opportunity to work with Caesar Pelly and associates, which is now, um, Pelly Clark Pelly associates. Uh, based in New York City and New Haven, and I was in the New Haven office. Um, some of the folks there in the firm also taught uh, at Yale, so um, I had an, a great introduction to them and to the firm. And uh, I wanted to um, work for a firm that was really operating at the highest level of industry, and um, they have an international reputation um, doing pretty incredible projects, but they also have a performing arts um, uh, studio and do a lot of work performing art venues. And so um, my, my other passion is music. And <clears throat> I played in, in uh, I was trained classically um, uh, in cello and uh, also uh, played, you know, electric bass in bands and, and always had this sort of other aspect of my life of, of music. So being able to work on world-class performing arts spaces seemed wow. like a perfect convergence yeah. of all of that. <clears throat> so, um, I've heard that, that Cesar Pelli's office was uh, a very collaborative studio that he, cause we have, I've, I've interviewed other people who've, who've come, come from uh, Pelli's office and they had said that 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 studio um, very much embraced the idea of educating the people who work for them so they can go out and be great architects beyond Caesar Pelli's office. Is that is that sort of the experience you had as well? 
I think so. Yeah. I mean, they also have a, a, a pretty loyal group of leadership that, that have been there for quite a long time, but it's, um, it, it was a wonderful experience after grad school to be able to be in such a, a design intensive environment. It's highly iterative. Um, you're working in teams. So even though it's a, it's a fairly large office, um, the way that you work on projects is, is rather intimate. Um, it's very familial too. Um, there are uh, lots of opportunities to socialize and, and spend time with your colleagues. Um, you know, they serve lunch every day. So everybody's meeting around the table and talking about their projects and their ideas. Um, so uh, that was a, a really wonderful place. That's to, a great idea to have lunch. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Very much an Argentinian idea, I think. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, not only is it great to have a, you know, a company that cares enough to, to feed you, but but the interactions during that meal probably uh, were, were, you know, so valuable. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it, there's some great friendships um, that formed out of that. In fact, I uh, met, well, I met my husband in grad school, but we, we were both working together at Cesar Pelli. Um, he had started a year before I did because he graduated a year earlier. And then, um, so we started soon after, we started dating soon after um, I began working there. And uh, Did they know that? <laughs> uh, we tried to keep it quiet for a little while. <laughs> At, uh, at the holiday party uh, was sort of our coming out. Sort of, sort of <laughs> obvious, yeah. I asked yeah. that because my wife and I worked together for for um, about a year and a half at an architecture firm. My first job, her second job, and uh, we met there. We we fell in love there, dated there, and when she had left, when I left, I announced that we were engaged to be married, and nobody ever knew that we were. Oh, really? Connected. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we sort of blew everybody's minds. And to, to this day that the owner of that firm takes full credit of my entire life, my, my marriage, <laughs> my kids, my business, everything. He says, that's all me. <laughs> right. Well, there were quite a few uh, couples there. I think there were at least four or five couples uh, when we were in the office there together. So it wasn't frowned upon to, um, to have a significant other yeah. in the office which was also kind of part of that familial sort of atmosphere. Right, right. So so what did you do after you were, when you left Pelly? Well, I really, um, my, my passion of sustainable architecture and, um, and community impact, you know, while I was at Yale, I was really involved with the Yale uh, Urban Design Workshop. Um, with Is Alan that where, where you were inspired to follow that passion? It was in school? That, yeah, that was that was a wonderful opportunity to get out into the community and do some pro bono work and and do some work that really um, improved you you know the goal was to improve the lives of um, a community that wouldn't typically have access to an architect for a bespoke project. Yeah, and so um, and we also did the the Yale Building Project, which was building a home also an affordable home. So there were lots of opportunities at Yale to get out there into the community and, and kind of work as an activist architect. Mm -hmm. And um, I absolutely love that piece. Um, and of course, my background in Berkeley, um, they uh, really had a strong emphasis on sustainability and building technology and performance. And so I wanted to meld those two loves of mine, um, as well as the design excellence focus from Kelly's office. Um, into one one practice. And so um, Robert Riccardi, my husband and I, um, decided that we were going to relocate to the Midwest, um, where he's from, and, um, and that uh, we would look at starting a practice. And uh, that was in 2004. 2005 uh, formed Draw Art, well, what was at the time that had a different name, but now it's Draw Architecture and Urban Design, with that, that focus on those three things. Um, sustainability, um, community uh, improvements or community impact, and um, design excellence. And so we've, we've come to kind of call that positive Im impact design as uh, what our mission is. What does that look like in, in practice? How does that, how, what is, how does that work now? Yeah, well, it, it starts with um, how we approach every project and the, the values we bring. Um, which are first and foremost to have empathy, right? To really um, think uh, about the client, the community, the context, 
um, of the project um, from you know uh, another person's perspective and um, to listen really intently and and um, try to ask those hard questions um, and then um, on the other side we talk about activism right so then once we've done that listening once we feel like we have that understanding uh, that we work boldly um, uh, to help uh, promote what we feel or what we've come to understand to be um, a, a good solution for that that project in that community so it's it's the combination of that the activism and the empathy um, which interestingly enough if you combine those two um, words that's sort of the definition of compassion right so working working from a place of compassion um, it is how we address every project how, how does how does the business side of that equation work how do, how do those projects get funded because I I talk to a lot of architects that have a passion for that right they want to mm -hmm. have an impact in the world they want to take what they they've learned take the skills the talents as architects and make the world better but how do you reconcile that with running a business that's successful and profitable? Well, it, it's interesting because through this process, I think we built some strong relationships um, with the city of Kansas City, Missouri, where we work a lot, um, with the communities, the neighborhoods. And so um, we've found that there's a trust that's built there. And, and when you do a good job of listening and advocating both for the client and for the community, you're more likely to get a project built. So we have a very high rate of um, success in getting uh, you know, design approvals um, through neighborhood um, review boards and the city um, through this process of carefully listening and, and, and working together collaboratively. Um, so that that brings um, clientele to us who are looking for you know, a project to run smoothly and successfully and actually get get built. Um, another aspect of positive impact design is is spatial impact. So um, something I learned while working with Daniel Solomon is he very much was um, not just an architect but uh, an urban designer. And he thought very carefully about zoning and how um, policy affects architecture. And um, of course was one of the charter members of uh, the Congress of New Urbanism. So thinking about how buildings affect the sidewalk, you know, what a sidewalk should feel like, what is a, um, a vibrant street, uh, how do we promote pedestrian connectivity, um, all those things uh, uh, I really learned from him. and. That's really important to us. So we talk about spatial impact of the building. So not just the design of the building itself, but how does it affect everything around it, right? The kind of negative space between the buildings being as important as the buildings themselves. Um, when then, when uh, you do when you focus on that is and that you know a client comes to you with a project, and the project is a building, right? And mm -hmm. and so when you look at it as an architect and you're looking at it as a full uh, urbanist project, right? You're looking beyond the building and looking into the environment and how does the spaces around this building uh, work? How do you um, bring that into the project, right? Because the project has a very specified scope and it may not include all of those things that you'd like to have included. Is there a way to sort of bring that to the attention of the client and be able to expand the scope into the built environment beyond the building? Absolutely. I think, um, Having, um, we have great tools uh, available to us in terms of visualization. You know, we use the, the latest um, rendering techniques, but also overlaying um, contextual images or, um, you know, doing diagrams of the larger context of a neighborhood. Um, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll look at the, the financial metrics of what's going on as well um, from that lens. So it's, it's once you start the conversation, um, most owners are very interested in how their building is going to fit within the context, larger context. 
And so um, that's that's a, been a pretty easy sell, actually. Um, so it's just a matter of, of having the the knowledge to know that this can be done, and then having the ability to present it in a very clear, compelling way to educate your client and say, "Here's what could happen if we were, you know, able to go beyond the building." And yeah, then they get exactly. excited about it, and they're like, "Yeah, we want to do that. Let's do that." Right, right. So, so one example of that is. Um, uh, an apartment complex that we were working on, and it was along a pretty busy street um, that doesn't have a, a, a wonderful um, pedestrian sort of experience um, through segments of it. And we wanted to make sure and create um, a, a vibrant pedestrian um, experience. So we said, well, what if we thought about this block as one that was really all about pedestrian activity? Um, can we strengthen that? that experience in the block so that then it kind of bleeds out from the block um, into the into the surrounding. And so we created this kind of almost like um, Italian medieval city scale um, uh, walkway through the buildings where um, the buildings are just 25 feet apart. And there's a nice little uh, pedestrian path weaving through um, a, a cluster of different buildings. And so you have the, the Juliet balconies of all of the units looking out into this um, pedestrian zone and people can sort of, you know, uh, congregate there or um, just have an awareness of, of one another um, in this kind of urban context. Uh, so it's a, it's a very unique condition for our city for Kansas City, but one that also kind of plays off of um, the, the liveliness of alleys, right? So we yep. created basically a, a, a new alleyway um, and where they were at first considering putting up um, gates and uh, kind of thinking about the security right. sort of the perimeter of the, of the facility. Instead, uh, we convinced them to just come, like, let's make it for us. Let's, let's make it something that people want to explore. And um, yeah, now now it's occupied and, and people are enjoying it. And it's, it's really fun. To yeah. See. So it's it sounds like you take permission, right? That you that you sort of have the project, you have the scope, you do your analysis, you look beyond that and say, well, what can we do? You know, if if we look at this as a holistic project, and then present it in a way and say, well, here, this is what could happen. Um, and then they give you the permission that you had already taken to right. present it. And, and they see the value in that. And so it becomes a, an infinitely better project. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will return to our conversation right after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors. Arcat, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Every day, more architecture professionals are adding RCAT to their workflow to save them time and money. RCAT helps designers, specifiers, and architects compare and select the best products for their projects using the powerful RCAT search engine. They also offer data files like BIM and CAD and specifications right there on the same site for free without registration. There's no catch, no cost, no email. It's all free all your building material information and all your manufacturer information all in one convenient place. Visit rcat.com today to see why so many professionals are consolidating their product search to one task. Visit rcat.com. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. Visit rcat.com today. There's lots to love about being an entrepreneur architect, but trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all of the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to organizing expenses, to managing online payments, all of that, and it automates them and simplifies them, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. With tons of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand over the keys to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks for free, 30 days. No credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com architect 
and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. And let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Freshbooks.com slash architect. Look, 2020 has proven to be the year of many things. But if you own your own architecture business, this could be the year that you switch to better payroll. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses, it was built for the people behind them, like you and me. Their online payroll is so easy to use. Gusto can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes automatically, which means you have more time to run your business. Plus, Gusto does way more than payroll. Gusto helps with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts, you get the idea. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you are moving from another provider, they can transfer all your data for you. It's no surprise that 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. And here's the best part. Because you're a listener right here at Entree Architect Podcast, you get three months free, totally free. All you have to do is go to gusto.com slash architect and all the details are there. Again, go to gusto.com slash architect. You'll thank me. You're going to love Gusto. Get started today at gusto.com slash architect. Arcat, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So, so um, you said that you had uh, tools at Draw that could allow you to sort of make these analyses very quickly and be able to to present them in a way. Um, is that where Planet Impact came from? How, what's what's Planet Impact, and how does it work, and in, how does it integrate with what you do at Draw? Yeah. So another critical aspect to our practice and a value we have in part of positive impact design is is resourcefulness. So we've kind of renamed sustainability as resourcefulness um, very intentionally because we think that it's it's beyond just um, trying to be um, sustainable, right? Um, we want to be um, doing something that's just plain smart, right? That's um, not wasteful in, in all the ways that the built environment can be now. Um, and it's sort of irrefutable, right? Like if you can talk about something being resourceful, no one's going to say, oh no, I don't want right, to be. Right. I don't want to be resourceful. Right. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> so, um, so we talk about radical resourcefulness, right? Like how can we really push it um, so that we get things into that, that net zero even um, category of construction. And early on, it became very clear that owners, um, you know, we have we have to look at things through the lens of the value proposition of owners. They want to know that something's going to be on time, um, and that it's going to be on budget, and they are interested in the impact of the environment. But there's always that that trying to balance first cost versus um, the long term uh, costs of operating a facility. And so often when we were talking about sustainability, we weren't talking about the hard numbers of those long-term costs. And we, we didn't find a tool. There wasn't a tool that provided that analysis. If we hired somebody, a specialist to do that, it would have cost us thousands and thousands of dollars. And at that point we would have, you know, probably spent either our own fee or um, the client's sort of benefit that they were trying to capture to begin with. So um, I had become involved with um, a, a local um, drive for gigabit um, internet here through Google coming to town in Kansas City. So we were one of the first gigabit cities in the US. Um, and that offered an interesting um, kind of mashup of, of interdisciplinary um, thought leaders coming together and, and, and trying to see, okay, how can gigabit technology benefit us um, at the municipal level? What, what can this do in terms of 
promoting entrepreneurship? What kinds of problems can it solve in terms of you know, safety, public space, parking access, um, and, and then um, sustainability was one of the key things that they were looking to, to think about as well. So we started interrogating the idea of, okay, if we had access to more data and we had access to um, a, a, a way of connecting the dots, right? A, a way of networking all these various silos that we work in as architects, yep. um, you know, the construction side and pricing modeling, um, the engineering piece, the building geometry piece, renewables and um, there, um, weather data, um, walkability and you know connectivity data. If we can kind of connect all these dots and start to provide um, a more data-driven um, solution for people and yet make it simple and easy, could that help owners make smarter decisions, better decisions because they're just simply more informed? Um, with another layer of, of information. And so that's what we started to build out um, and working uh, with First National Science Foundation funding and with a, a group called US Ignite. Um, we also were funded by the Mozilla Foundation um, and, and then started working with uh, architects and, and construction companies to build out this platform. And so uh, Planet Impact um, it's a continually evolving thing, but it, it's a piece of software now that's available um, and downloaded and, and used and as uh, a, a collaboration hub, essentially for um, pulling together, building performance information around energy, water use, stormwater impact, um, and transportation uh, connectivity is a, is a piece in there as well. And then layering that with the cost data so that you understand the cost benefit, right? What is the return on investment for these incremental decisions that we're making? Because it's design is a series of thousands of decisions, right? Um, and each one has an implication. So you do kind of need to see them um, individually, but then also cumulatively. So that's what it does. Right. So you can so you can make um small changes to see how it impacts the overall concept of what you're what you're proposing is it working with a bim model how is it how what is it analyzing yeah so it analyzes um you can either um use it very early on in a process and just do manual inputs to just um, in, in, upload data to it and yeah just upload data um answer essentially you know seven or so questions and then um it's a uh a mass iteration model. So you ask, you tell it, I want to achieve a 50% um, energy savings reduction with a 10 year payback time horizon, right? For a building that is roughly this big yeah. um, in this location and that has this use. And then it, we give you um, the best options for how to achieve those goals, right? So instead of doing a design and then finding out how it's going to perform, why don't we instead turn the whole model on, on its head and say, okay, no, this is what, I, you know, I know I have to design this sort of building. What's the best way to get to my goal that I know that my client is trying to hit. So it works, you know, hundreds of times faster than traditional um, energy modeling processes, um, both in its, it's starting with the question, right. Or starting with the answer rather. Um, and then giving you kind of the question. It's um, also, um, I think, something that um, we're learning a lot about the industry. So um, as a separate company, Planet Impact is a sister company to draw. Um, we're learning so much about our own industry in having those conversations with other architects and engineers and construction companies and understanding more about how they work and their challenges and what are the impediments to sustainable design that they're facing. Um, and it's been, um, it's then in turn affected how we think about draw and the kinds of work that we do uh, in an interesting way as well. So um, 
So it's full circle. It's 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 Planet Impact is is benefiting Draw and Draw is sort of inspiring Planet Impact. Um, it sounds like Planet Impact becomes sort of this uh, very quick, inexpensive evaluation tool to be able to make very quick decisions early on before it costs a lot of money to make those decisions. Uh, so you know where you can go before you get there. So you're not exactly. sort of doing those analyses after you've done a whole lot of expensive work. Which is so important to do that early phase iteration. Um, you hit the nail on the head. So the first you know, 20% of decisions we make in design, it's, it's the Pareto rule, right? Effective roughly 80% yep. of the project's um, outcome. So the more data or um, iteration we can do early on, more confident we can be that we can right. And you're more likely to end up with a result that's much more beneficial and 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 better for the world by being able to make those early decisions, you can be more confident that we'll end up where we want to go rather than saying, oh no, that's going to be too expensive. We have to take that out because you know we, we're afraid that it's going to be too expensive. We just never actually done the analysis because it's too exactly. expensive to do that analysis. Right. And just by asking, I mean, it literally takes 20 minutes to run one of these analyses and typically we'll see a 25% improvement in the overall design performance over code minimum. So it's at least, you know, it's, it's so simple to do. There's just, yeah. Even if you don't use our platform, using some, some <laughs> platform right, right. to do that energy modeling is just so critical. What's your vision for Planet Impact? What would you love it to become someday? Because you said that it's still early on in, in the process of developing it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is a, a pretty sophisticated piece of software already. It's just that yeah, it's fully available. I didn't want that yeah. to sound like it's yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's fully available. <laughs> it's it's working. It's just you know, I just wonder where sort of what's your vision for its impact on the world? Right. Yeah. Well, we. I mean, ultimately, we would like it to be um, something that can be used on every project everywhere, regardless of whether it's a lead project or not, um, in order to help people see how they can achieve net zero um, design or as close to that as they, as they can. Um, so we would like to be um, that, um, um, tool that helps, um, helps convince people that net zero is actually reachable because it is. I think a lot of folks think about that now and they um, consider it as being out of reach um, or too expensive. Right. And what's interesting is the analysis we do shows that sometimes it's only like a five or 7% increase in cost to get there. Um, so if we can help move the needle um, for the building and construction industry, which as we know is a huge um, contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, 40% across the board, but in cities, it's, it's 60% or more um, of greenhouse gas emissions come from the built environment. So as we continue to uh, urbanize even more, we need to be focusing that much more on right. Uh, right. So if our goal as a, as a profession is to have zero uh, net carbon, right? Zero zero net carbon. Um, this becomes a tool that becomes part of the workflow of every project, right? That's that's hopefully what would happen that's is that this becomes so easy and so simple to use it that every project starts with an analysis, whether it's Planet Impact or some other tool that will very quickly give you that data to say, you know, net zero, how right. does it, how is, how, how can we do that? You know, and what's right. the cost impact of to this project to make it that? Um, and if it's too expensive, then how close can we get within the budget that we have? Right. And we'd, we'd love to see it influence policy, right? So if, if policy is saying, okay, well, you have to run one of these analyses, right? Um, as part of a project life cycle. Right. And then um, and if that can inform the incentive structure for development, say, okay, well, it looks like for you to hit this goal, which we all know as a, as a global community, we need to get there. Um, and it's going to cost another million dollars on, you know, a $25 million project to get there. How do we, um, provide the incentives to get there? I mean, we've incentivized all kinds of different sorts of, um, economic, uh, shifts and in industry in the past, right? So why not this? And that's something that we, if we can be a tool to help 
um, elucidate where those drivers need to be. That's also, that would be great too. Yeah. Super interesting uh, and inspiring. What's, what, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So this is such a good question because I had a really interesting conversation um, this morning with uh, my former professor and, and um, mentor, Phil Bernstein, about kind of where we are as um, an architecture, um, as an industry, right? And with the fast changes that we're seeing um, in potential you know, innovations, um, in project delivery, um, we're, we're faced with some pretty, um, important decisions, I think as an industry. Very much so. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're seeing the rise of design build. And if, if I can dare to say, um, the loss of agency of, of architecture. Very much so. Yes. Yeah, We've, uh, I talk about it all the time here. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it is at a tipping point for architects that we either embrace the future or we become obsolete. Right, right. Um, and so I think what's been interesting for me is as part of the startup community on the Planet Impact side, I've been forced to really think hard about the business of just owning a business, right? And that architecture is ultimately owning a business. Um, and in thinking about the, the value proposition again of the, of, the, of the client, what do municipal clients, what do the private sector clients really ultimately want to see and need um, and, and how do we provide that for them? And I think that architecture education um, in general, is not built around that premise at all. Um, you know, it's, it's built around the kind of creative, um, godlike kind of right. construct of architect, um, and um, and it's very much not the the reality that we're working in now. So um, I think really focusing on how you can provide. Um, a valuable service to the client um, and capturing that um, is, is something to think through and something we're thinking through really carefully right now. Um, how do we help them to um, address those, those very real concerns? These are some of the biggest investments and um, you know, financial decisions that, that some folks are making when they when they build a building um that they'll ever make in their life um you know so um how do we help them to to alleviate those concerns um deliver on what we say we're going to do and to me that is starting to shift more towards uh, a vertical integration um you know that we need to actually understand more about cost of construction. It, it's become very, very clear over the last three years. I'm curious to get your take on this too. Um, it was already happening, right? It's been happening for, for decades, but over the last several years, the extreme volatility in the costs of construction that are coming back um, have made it all the more um, critical. And um, we're, we're seeing, you know, 30% jumps in cost of year over year sometimes on a project that we thought that we had a pretty good handle on um, that we just don't anymore. And so um, I think this, this, this critical linkage between production and, um, and the design side and how you deliver that um, is, is going to become absolutely critical. Yeah. I think the entire system is shifting. Mm -hmm. that the old way of practicing and the old way of building is not the the future way of practicing and the future way of building we're we are moving in a different uh, in a different direction um and and the the thing that architects need to understand is that we need to be part of that future or else yeah. we become replaced because there are entrepreneurs out there 
There are developers out there. There are construction companies out there that will happily take those opportunities uh, and and run with them. And if we don't take those opportunities and run with them um, and and define the future of the built environment as architects, then they will. Absolutely. And we, we won't be needed anymore. Right. And so so we need to look at those opportunities um, and embrace them and and not push back at them. You know, that, that there are, there's lots of generative design and automation and that scares the heck out of architects. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we go away, right? It means that we, we have new tools to use. So how do we use those new tools to become more valuable and more respected, more relevant in the profession? Right. Um, if, we, if we turn our back to that, then that's when somebody else takes over and we're left with nothing. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, you see it all the time that there's, you know, there's some new software out there that helps generate um, like test bits, right? Test bit exactly. IO. Yep. Yep. So it starts running different different options. But the but the fact is that if you can you can be proactive and bring that software to the table and say, yes, but here's why this option that it came up with, the algorithm came up with, is better or worse than this one, right? There's always going to be that critical eye. The um, the understanding. I, I, I think a lot about, um, this is my, my music background coming out, the digital and the analog. Um, and so, um, you know, analog, I, I kind of think about the soft skills, right? The ability to have a, a conversation and be emotive with, with someone and connect with them and really understand what their motivations are um, and to um, be a proponent for them, right? That's kind of, and, and, and then that also comes with, I think the analog is also the, the material, the knowledge of the material, the, the haptic aspects of building. Yeah. The digital side is obviously, you know, the world that's become a lot more prevalent with um, the way that we're representing work um, and um, analyzing work um, and, and, and corresponding. So, you're always going to need the analog, right? Because ultimately right. you end up with buildings that are inhabited, that are the ultimate a- analog machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, and the, the digital is, is just um, going to be a tool to get there. And, and there's a long history of, of technologies coming up and people getting scared and, and, and we've been yeah. sort of luddites typically <laughs> in the past. But we need to get over that um, and just realize that all of it is just a, a kind of way to, continue to elevate what we do on the yeah and and i think your work with planet impact is a perfect example of that is that you saw a need you developed a tool um you're you're you know continuing to develop that tool because it's something that the architecture industry needs that we need that tool right we look at the future this future is coming whether we like it or not we need to have tools to be able to uh to respond to that future and embrace that future yeah. Uh, and Planet Impact is a, is a perfect example of that, um, and I and I hope you inspire others who are listening, who have those ideas, who see the the needs that need to be out there. That there's there's a tool missing, and that we can develop those tools as architects. Yes, yes, and and it's it's a steep learning curve. It is definitely a completely different business model, and I've um, I've learned a ton. But I do think that being an architect. And the, the kinds of education, the perspective that we bring does make us uniquely um, positioned to be entrepreneurs, right? To think that way, um, to be inventive, right? That's what we do. We invent. Right. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Dominique Davison is her name. You can reach out to her at drawarch.com, D-R-A-W-arch.com. Uh, you can learn all about Planet Impact. It's Plan IT, so Plan itimpact.com. We will have links to both of those uh, uh, websites on our show notes. You could also reach out to Dominique on LinkedIn. And uh, Dominique, thank you. Thank you for being here, for inspiring us, uh, to maybe maybe motivating some people who have some great ideas to just go for it. Um, thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. That was a You have been listening to episode 356 of the Entree Architect podcast. If you would like to access 
the show notes or share this episode with a friend, you know the link. It's entrearchitect.com slash episode 356. And before we wrap up this episode, this is a special episode, the first of 2021. I want to thank my entire team here at Entre Architect. I could not possibly do what we're doing here at Entre Architect without these people. Dawn Porta, my assistant, um, I, you are an extension of my brain. I, I could not possibly do what I do. You are an integral part of everything I do, uh, both personally and professionally. So Dawn, thank you for being there for me uh, and being so uh, such an integral part of my life. Thank you. Jeff Eccles, Steve Wintner, Kyle Barker, Robert Swinburne, Leslie Dival, John Jones, Brian McCartney, Marika McKeel, Marilyn Modinger, Christopher Kennedy, Paul Rugarber, Earl Parson, John Brunt, Michael Maturo, Jefferson Skierbeek, Jack Barnes, Jennifer Kretschmer, Nick Cornier, Angela Donahoe. I could not do it. I could not do what we do both in the community and at the membership without these people. These people are loyal and dedicated to our mission of serving the small firm architects throughout the world. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to each one of you. Thank you for what you do and your contributions to this community. And a very, very, very special thank you to my producer here at Entre Architect Podcast, who has produced over 200 of the last 356 plus episodes we have here at Entre Architect Podcast. She has planned and coordinated all of the live AIA conference uh, Entre Architect small firm meetups over the years. So if you've hung out with us at one of those parties at the AIA conference, this it's been it's been this person. And she has so reliably and consistently produced almost every video training and special session inside the Entre Architect membership over the years. She is loyally working behind the scenes every week. We truly could not be doing what we're doing here at Entre Architect without her. Sarah Rowe, thank you. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for all you've done for the Entree Architect community. Thank you for being there for me. So as you can see, since we launched way back in 2012, Entree Architect has become way bigger than me. And our plans are to continue to grow and to continue to serve the small firm architect community. So thank you to each one of you who have contributed to making Entree Architect what it has become and continue to work to what it is destined to be. I thank you, each one of you. And I want to thank you who are listening, you. I want to thank you for listening each week. Thank you for being a member of this special group of people, this community, this global community of architects who care for one another and support one another and learn from one another and share with one another. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me every week and, and everywhere that you are within this community. Um, thank you. You know, Entree Architect is proud to be part of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. And I want to thank Demetrius. Demetrius Lynch, the founder and creator of Spaces Podcast, is my co-founder and my partner here at Gable Media. Um, if you haven't listened to the shows at Gable Media, you should do that. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. We are curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. And we could not possibly do what we're doing at Gable Media without Demetrius. Demetrius is so uh, focused and dedicated to launching and growing Gable Media. So Demetrius, thank you. Thank you for, for starting this thing with me and making it what it is today. Uh, what it is today. So thank you, Demetrius. Uh, if you don't know, we're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Entree Architect Podcast, Build Your Brand Podcast, Spaces Podcast, Speak Podcast, Practice Disrupted, and Troxel are all there. And we have many, many podcasts in the pipeline. We're growing and, de and developing new shows right now that will launch in a couple of months. So watch for that. And on YouTube, we have YouTube video channels as well. Eric Reinholtz, 30 by 40 Design Workshop, is a network partner at Gable Media. And Show It Better with Steven Rubio, also a network partner. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. You can go check them out right now at G-A-B-L-Media.com. GableMedia.com. You should go check them out. 
So this is it. As we step into 2021, many of us are looking to make this year the year of renewal, putting the stress and the anxiety of the past months behind us and focusing on positivity and serving others the best we can, the best we know how. How can we serve the people of the world? How can we use our talents and our skills to better serve the world? How do we grow our firms and fill our project lists with meaningful work? How do we attract the clients that need us the most, that really need us the most? How do we attract them? There are three steps to building a strong, healthy architecture business. Develop a plan, a simple business plan that identifies your vision and the path required to achieve it. Develop a financial management system, a simple system that allows you to plan for a strong, profitable business. And develop a focused, intentional brand, a branding system that truly empathizes and emotionally connects with the clients that need you the most. So start off your new year with determination and commitment to focusing on these three steps, a business plan, a financial plan, and a powerful brand strategy. Let's work to better serve the world. If you need some guidance, we can help. We have resources for all of those. And Build Your Brand course is available right now. It's a premium on-demand training program to help you develop a comprehensive branding system for your architecture firm. It's not an option, you have to, you already have a brand. You need to build a brand that attracts the clients you want to work with most. It's the Build Your Brand course is everything you need to build an irresistible brand that will attract your best clients, your ideal clients. So let's start off 2021 with confidence. And let's bring our skills and our talents as architects to the people who need and value us the most. Let's build your brand. We can show you how at the Build Your Brand course. Go check it out right now. Visit entrearchitect.com slash brand course to learn more. Just check it out. Go see what we're doing over there. Jeff and I have worked really hard in making sure that this is a course that you can take on your time. And when you're done, you're going to have a brand strategy, brand manual that you can use and you can reference over and over and over again throughout the years to make sure that your message is consistent and will attract the clients that you want and who need you the most. So go check it out at entrearchitect.com slash brand course. Build your brand and make 2021 the year that we worked to build a better world. That's entrearchitect.com slash brand course. Thanks for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it.
Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>